This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And I'm Sophie Robinson. And before we start, we wanted to say something. We are obviously delighted to be able to get together and dig into all the good stuff we've planned for today. But we'd also like to take a moment to acknowledge that there is a lot of stuff going on right now, which is not good at all. These are strange and frightening times for many of us, and I'm sure some of you are glued to the news and others are doing your best to avoid it. And of course, many don't have that luxury. Our hearts go out to all who face conflict, and in particular right now, we are thinking of Ukraine and the Ukrainians. We know there are thousands of you out there listening all over the world. And if any of you have ever listened or liked or found the podcast entertaining or useful, then do consider making a donation to either the Red Cross, the Disasters Emergency Committee or Save the Children, who are all running appeals at the top of their website so it's easy to find. And I spoke to the Red Cross the other day on my Instagram messages and they said it can be hard to distribute stuff that people are sending like coats and shoes. And obviously that feels like the obvious thing to send. But they said, in all honesty, money is easier. It's quicker to distribute and they can get it to the right place. So if you have a moment or want to do that, please do. Yeah, I agree, Kate. It's been absolutely heartbreaking watching the news unfurl over the last week. It's probably worth mentioning that we're recording this podcast a week ahead of when you listen to it. And things are obviously moving at quite a pace in the news at the moment. But if you do indeed feel like you want to reach out and support those in Ukraine, we'll put the links to all those charities here in the podcast show notes and indeed over on our blogs too to make it easier for you. And just imagine if every single one of you donated just a bit, we know we've got a really big community here at The Great Indoors and we know we could make a little bit of a difference. But it's our job to bring joy where we can and we're going to do just that. So... Well, it might seem like a bit of a gear change, on we go. Today, we are talking about small ideas that pack a big punch. Then gallery walls, are they over? 
<laughs> and finally, our star surgery asks, what separates a lovely old original feature from a dated eyesore? Is it just personal opinion? Oh, sounds like we can have a good old row about that then. But just before <laughs> we get into that, I want to share this excellent email from a listener who heard our item last time about the names for rooms. And I'm going to apologise in advance for my inevitable mispronunciation and wrong accents. However, <laughs> this is an email from Pia in Sweden. And she says, I loved your discussion around the name for the room with the sofa. I, do you know what? I'm going to interrupt Pia right there and go, let's just call it that. I'll be in the room with the sofa. <laughs> Anyhow, she carries on. Also the room with the sofa, the TV, the big light and the bar cart. Here in Sweden, she says, we have two names for said room. Either we call it, wait for this, Storamrum, which is basically big room. And yes, a lot of great minds working together to come up with that name. Or we call it, might need a run up at this one, Vardagsrum, which is the better name, I think. If translated to English, it would be the everyday room. Vardag is every day, but Vardag is weekday. I'm not even really now, I'm just saying words. Um, but that would indicate that it isn't used for weekends and that is just wrong. I do think that every room in your home should be an everyday room, but still the name is nice. I second that, Pia. It should be an everyday room. And she says she loves the podcast. Thank you very much for that, Pia. So I put a poll up on our Great Indoors podcast Facebook group and the results are in. I asked what are the names that you call rooms and people got to vote. So shall I do the top five? Yeah. So number five was TV room. Then it was Snug and Den. Then front room. At number three with 101 votes was sitting room, Kate. That's your personal yeah. favourite. Then lounge came in at second with 121 votes. <laughs> then the most popular name for the room with a sofa in is indeed the living room with a stonking 347 votes. There you go. Or if I had a party popper, I'd be popping it off right now. <laughs> there we go. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. There was loads of chat in the comments about people debating why we call them, why we do. Lots of people thought that lounge was a very 70s word, which I hadn't really thought yes. about. I thought, yeah, if you think of your lounge suit and your, and your lounge trousers, lizard. Yes. Yeah, that is quite, it does feel quite 70s, that, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, lots of our American friends talking about family rooms and TV rooms. Yeah, really interesting. Family room is a really good one. I mean, I, that's interesting because I think it's probably only a family room when your children are small. Because it's a long time since all my family have been in mine. Now the boys are 18 and 21. <laughs> So I thought it would be really interesting to talk about hanging art. It's a question I get asked quite a lot over on my Instagram and on my blog, people asking what's the best way to hang art in a space. And I'm a massive fan of collecting all kinds of pictures from, you know, beautiful canvases down to framed photos, down to bits that I pick up from the junk shop, down to posters. My house is covered in art. So I thought we can talk about the rules, give our listeners some ideas. But what I want to really tackle first is the notion of the gallery wall and 
has it finally stopped being super, super fashionable? I mean, the gallery wall, for anyone who's not understanding what that is, a gallery wall is when you get loads of pictures and put them all together on one wall, sometimes from the floor all the way up to the ceiling or maybe grouped above a piece of furniture like the sofa. But it's lots and lots of different size pictures all jostling together. And it's been a real Pinterest darling, this look. But I'm just sticking it out there. Are we done? Are we done with the gallery wall as a style? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, I do feel that we've seen a lot of them. My problem with the gallery wall, I've got two problems, probably come up with another one if I think about it. Um, (laughs) the, (laughs) The first thing I would say about the gallery wall is that if you are in a small space, then busying your walls up with lots of pictures and different frames can make a space feel smaller and more cluttered. So Ah, so brilliant. From the get-go, I'm just jumping straight in here with a complete rebuttal of that. I disagree. I think gallery walls. I think you mean a rebuttal. I'm going to jump in on your grammar. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to rebuttal your rebuttal. But I quite like a rebuttal. Yeah, okay. Let's hear your rebuttal. (laughs) Hope you feel well and truly rebuffed. And I raise you a rebuttal. (laughs) I think gallery walls are brilliant in small spaces. I think where you've got quite a tiny room, it's a great way to get in a lot of decoration and a lot of interest without choking up surfaces. So you get all your decorative elements up on the wall. And I think it can make quite a, you know, underwhelming tiny room look full of personality and interest. Okay, well, I'm going to, all right, I see you there. I'm now going to raise you. I'm going to rebuff that. I'm going to come back with... My second issue with the gallery wall is I think it's great if it is a proper collection of framed cinema tickets or posters that of places you've been to, pictures you've had for a long time. So it's well, like almost a mem- like, like a something sort of, sentimental. And something, yeah, something right. that has okay. meaning for the people who live in that house and which tells the story of the people that live there. What I don't like is that, oh, here's a big expanse of wall. I want to fill it with pictures, so I'm just going to go and buy a whole load of stuff all in one go and add to cart. And then it's not personal. <laughs> and you inevitably see the same live, love, laugh again and again. And there, there. <laughs> so, oh, you typography's know. getting in here too now. Oh, oh no. there's always a bit. She says, she says, looking at her zigazig R poster. Um, but, you know, <laughs> you have not. You have not got a zigazig R poster. Are you serious? You have not got a Spice Girls quote in your house. Kate Watson Smythe. Shall we cut this? Go go get a cold flannel and apply to your forehead. Should I have a lie down? Should I have a lie down? It was for a styling job and it's kind of found its way into my study. Although, to be fair, my study's now Enid's bathroom. So, you know, she she likes a bit of typography. It's nothing to do with me. She clearly loves (laughs) the Spice Girls as well. Anyhow, moving swiftly on, I like one big (laughs) picture. (laughs) Outed, love it. Yes, yeah, go on. Focus. Yes, where were we? I don't know. Zig- no, we finished this topic. <laughs> I think you were saying, darling, that one has to have thought through and told one's yes. story with one's gallery wall and you can't go getting just a lot of 
puff off postersrus.com or whatever. Exactly that. that. You want to see a bit of depth to your gallery wall. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, and then I think they're really interesting. And, I, you know, and then it's lovely to look at and kind of understand who lives there and who they are. I like it that yeah, way. Yeah, I've got a gallery wall going up my staircase in the landing. It seems to always be quite a good place for them, actually, because um, over the years I have collected, uh, you know, various framed pictures. Art always sounds a bit eyebrow. Uh, yeah, I know um, what you mean, art, yeah. I guess. But, you know, I've collected stuff from charity shops, car boot sales. I've got some framed pictures of Arthur. There's a wedding photo, I think. All those sorts of things that you collect over the period of your life. And I don't, for me personally, like little pictures dotted around. I like to group them all in one place and create more of a visual impact when they're all together. And I've put them up on the landing because I'll be honest, Kate, they don't really go with one another. It's a right old mishmash of frames and there's some photography and there's some paintings and there's some prints. And there's been gifts that people have given me over the years, like some framed art that we got for our wedding, for example. A lovely friend painted the church where we got married. That's up there. So that's, that's what the you're talking about. But yeah. It is I a joy, but aesthetically, that. it probably looks a little bit steptoe and sun, if I'm honest. But I like it as I'm walking across the landing or down the stairs. I just like to have a little glance. But, happy but that's exactly the point I would make. I'm going to rebuff your steptoe and sun comment because I think, <laughs> you know, every single picture you've talked about, I'm going, oh, a wedding. Pa- oh, they painted the church. Wing. Oh, I love. You know, I think that sounds lovely. And the very idea that it's a jumble of stuff that has such meaning to you and you see it every time you go up and down stairs, that for me is the perfect gallery wall, as opposed to where people have gone, oh, I want this colour curated with that and that saying with this. And and they haven't got their personal stuff up there. They've just tried to kind of curate a gallery wall, which I think can then feel quite cold. Look too contrived. Yes. Well, I'm I'm going to fess up. I'm going to be fess up. I'm guilty of the second crime gallery wall as well. So in my living room, (laughs) I've got a gallery wall. And some of those paintings, again, I have had for a while, but actually some of them I've bought to go with the gallery wall. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. They always say, don't they, never buy art to match your interior decor. You know, that's just like not the thing to do. As an interior designer, I do like to buy artwork that goes the rest of my decor because I don't like the colours or the design jarring. So there we go. I think it's got to be a balance, hasn't it? Partly buy the art you really love, but don't buy something that's going to stick out like a sore thumb with all the other elements in the room. I do think there has to be a balance. And I have got a gallery wall in my living room, which is hasn't got any of the tatty car boot cell finds or hodgepodge. It's got some nice pieces that I've chosen and I've curated and I put them together and they've got a kind of like, even though again, it's mixed medium, some of them are prints, some of them are paintings. Some We've even got like a pastel drawing. The colours kind of sing and flow together and that just makes me happy seeing that they all kind of balance together harmoniously. So but it is a bit contrived, Kate. I hold my hand up, but I'm sorry it looks nice in my living room. <laughs> you got any gallery walls in your house? Um, I've got one in the hall, which is a sort of collection of black and white magazine covers of Italian cities, which we've been collecting but for years. But they're like in a grid, aren't they? Well, they're not quite in a grid because they go around the big hall mirror. But, oh, nice. Uh, oh, you see, that's nice to do. See, that's nice. So you can do gallery walls sort of salon style, if you like, where it's all this like crazy jumble. You can do them where they wrap around 
yeah, like a big giant hallway mirror or around a doorway looks really cool. Or they wrap around the corner of the room, I think, looks really cool. I think you've got to think outside the box when it comes to your gallery walls. It's not just about creating one higgledy-biggledy arrangement in one spot. You can kind of be a bit more creative with them too, can't you? Well, I was going to come on to that, the the hanging of them. I mean, are there rules? I mean, I love, as you can imagine, I love a gallery grid, but they are a nightmare, a nightmare <laughs> to hang and get straight. Um, and then, you know, because the bits of string on the back are all different lengths. And I know people talk about command strips, but I'm not sure I entirely trust them with anything, you know, too big or too precious. I think that the typical gallery wall is a bit more fluid where you've got different shaped pieces of art. Some are square, some are oblong, some are portraits, some are landscape. And a lot of people worry, like, how do you make that work without it looking like a real mess? So I'd say for me... I always start in the middle. doesn't have to be central, I hasten to add. Probably shouldn't be central, the first piece of art you hang. Maybe find the centre of where you want your focal point to be and then take it off to one side a little bit. The other so how do you decide it- where your focal point is? Well, again, that depends on the wall. So the gallery wall I've got in my living room goes from the floor to the ceiling. So the focal point is quite central at eye level. And I want like a really nice arresting piece of artwork right there. In the hallway, to be honest, in the hallway, I just had a glass of gin and started putting nails in the wall. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I was like, honestly, I really recommend that. I think sometimes we can get like too uptight and worried and then it looks really stilted. Sometimes it's like, oh, just fly a map. But that's easier in a a hallway or landing. If you're trying to do something a bit more curated, you have to think about it. I mean, I tend to lay them all out on the floor first, take a photo with my phone. So I've got a record of kind of what I want it to look like and then start putting them up on the walls. Command strips are quite handy, even if you then go on to put nails in after. You know, a command strip is an adhesive hook that allows you to move it without damaging the wall. So even just setting your art out, they can be quite handy. So yeah, find a nice arresting piece in the middle and then build up around and don't worry with a sort of salon style gallery wall. Don't worry about it being symmetrical. I quite like it to be, you know, one piece of art top left is a bit higher up than the corresponding one, which is in the bottom left hand corner, which is a bit lower than the others. Um, There's so many images on Pinterest, as I said, to get some inspiration. And then the second problem with gallery walls that people get stuck with is, is the gaps to leave in between each picture. Yes, that's, I think, harder, isn't it? That can be tricky. And I would err towards nudging them closer together rather than further apart. The idea here with this style of gallery wall is they look like a group. They are all together. They're a family of pictures. They're not sort of like floating off across the room on their own. So you want to keep them quite tightly mixed together. And if you can get some kind of measurement, whether it's two, three, four inches or somewhere around that between each picture, try and keep that fairly consistent between but I'm gonna and I'm coming pieces. in there because that where you come to the issue is that is if you do have this kind of organic gallery wall where the pieces are different sizes and potentially different shapes but let's definitely different sizes then do you, you know if you go three inches to the sides of one then you find because of the different sizes you can't go three inches from the bottom so there's a, and then you're in a muddle because then you've got you know gaps all over the place and it's just a mess. This is well, that's why what the you do. You do it on the dead. floor. You do it on the floor, and you have a little jiggle around, and then it comes down to your eye. Does this look nice? 
it is a mixture of being an art and a science at the same time. There are a few guidelines, but ultimately I just stand back and decide whether you're happy with it or not. And the beautiful thing as well is this is also a very organic thing. I mean, I'm always, well, not so much my one in the living room, which I've sort of curated and there is no space left on the wall, but in the hallway, I keep adding to it. I have to say, I I like a single piece of art that can really grab the attention. But there's something else, another way of hanging them, which I put on the blog the other day and I really like this. And it's this idea of using your picture rail. And for many people who live in period properties, there is, you know, we all know it's called a picture rail, but how many of us actually use it for the purpose for which it was intended? I don't. And yet I have them in my sitting room. So obviously this is a sort of piece of architrave, for want of a better word, that's usually about a foot 30 centimetres down from the ceiling. And you can buy very easily from the local hardware store, the big hooks that hook over the picture rail. And then you can have have either some chain or if it's a very light painting, some sort of fishing wire or something. And you hang the paintings down from that at different heights. And that's great if you're renting in a period property because you don't have to put any holes in the wall because the picture rail is there for that. But then I also saw someone who didn't have picture rails. And I think, Sophie, you know, you live in a cottage. You don't have picture yeah, no rails. Pi- no picture rails here. No picture rails. And also in modern properties, this one probably less good for renters, but it's an interior design studio called Run for the Hills. And I love their work. And they had fixed a fabulous brass rod onto the wall and then had chains hanging down from that with pictures hanging at different heights. And then one picture had different chains coming down from that. So they'd created this gallery wall hanging off this brass rod. And actually the fact that it was all sort of contained within the brass rod, if you like, meant that it all came together, even though the pictures were different sizes and with different gaps between them, because the rod was the kind of coherent thing. So I thought that was a great idea. I'm I'm now looking for a brass rod. <laughs> Not a euphemism. No, that sounds super cool. So where are we at with it then? Do you think there is still a place for a gallery wall in one of the most stylish homes? Or do you think we are now making way for just that one big showstopper. I'm seeing that a lot. I mean, like really oversized pieces. It's quite a commitment though for someone like me to just choose one piece of art that's going to like be the thing in a room. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I get that for you, it's a big commitment or for other people to have one piece of art and sort of love it forever. I like having one piece of art. And I would often say that, you know, you could move it to a different room. If you love it, you might just love it in a different place. The gallery wall, is it, I'm, do you know, I'm going to go with not dead Maybe having a lie down. Oh, You've got to do it properly. Sitting on the fence chest again. <laughs> I, I like a gallery wall if it has meaning to the person who's hung it. I don't care if it's salon style, never heard that before, or organic <laughs> or grid like, but I want gallery walls or that are telling stories that interest me, that I learn about the people who've put that gallery wall up. I just don't want, you know, a bunch of posters added to cart. You're, you're just looking for a bit of zigzag, aren't you, Kate? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's Kate. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Of course, you can come and chat about all of this and more with us on Instagram, where I'm Sophie Robinson Interiors and she's mad about the house. Or head over to our lovely Facebook group, The Great Indoors Podcast. Now, for our next subject, we're going to tackle the idea of small ideas that can have a big impact. And that kind of feels perfect for the time now. It's, you know, coming to the end of winter, not necessarily all got the budgets we might want for buying huge things. So it's little things that can be really quite dramatic in a space. And actually, linking in from our previous topic, you can even moving your pictures around. I'm a big fan of moving pictures around because I still love them, but I think it can give you a sort of refresh of a space if you move it to a different room. However, the mad husband, he's not having it. He won't have it. He's like, that picture's hung there. That's the only place for that picture. We can't um, possibly move it. He's bought that piece of art. He's considered it. He's measured yeah. his alcove. He's yeah. put the nail in. It looks absolutely perfect height. And there you are, suddenly want to move it to the downstairs loo. Yeah, I can understand yeah, his it. frustrations. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I am I never, think... ever repeating that to him. And you are never to speak to him again. <laughs> I think you're right. I think it's just having a little bit of a research. There's something yeah. in that, isn't there? And, um, you know, the thing is, is, you know, we don't redecorate that often. I think the average person redecorates between seven and 10 years or something. And I remember I get asked this a lot by journalists. They're like, oh, my gosh, you must decorate all the time. And I'm like, no, because it's quite expensive redecorating your house. And, well, and also indeed, the hassle. <laughs> the hassle. So, yeah, so just having a little bit of a, a switch round. I mean, I used to do this as a teenager all the time. I used to love rearranging the furniture in my bedroom. Like I'd have the bed in this yeah. corner and when I lay on it, I could see the view out the window, but then I'd like switch it round to the other. And I think this was the budding young interior designer in me, wasn't it? It was just like, oh, it feels completely different on this side of the room. And so, you know, maybe there's something in that. I think it's when you're in your sort of like forever home, for want of a much better word than that, you know, I'm looking around myself at the moment going, well, my dining table fits my dining room. I'm not about to put it in another room. And, you know, <laughs> and the two sofas that I've bought, they fit in those spaces. So it's sometimes it's, it's the artwork, the lamps, maybe just doing well, this is a little it. bit you of can't, styling. I, mean, I live in, you know, you've got a big square sitting room. So arguably you could swap your two sofas over or move things around. I live in a Victorian terrace, which is very narrow. There's only one space for the sofa. Space it can't ever, ever yeah. go in a different yeah. position. So it is about, you know, moving things around and maybe taking the cushions from the sofa and putting them on the bed or, you know, mm. vice versa. On the basis that I think we tend to have 
even if we haven't thought about it, we tend to have a sort of overriding colour palette in our house. So there's a high chance that what goes in the sitting room is not going to have a massive fight with what's in the bedroom. So moving things around like that, I think they call it shopping your home. Um, Yes, we've talked about that before, haven't we? But I think, you know, this is a perfect time of year to have another little think about it, another little reminder, moving into spring. I know typically as we move through into spring and into April and May, they become the sort of big decorating months, don't they? Traditionally, we've got lots of bank holidays here in the UK in May and people tend to roll up their sleeves and get to the DIY shed and finally get round to tackling that room. But in the meantime, I mean, everything still feels like way too much effort for me (laughs) at the moment. So yeah, I'm looking at little ways to bring impact, even just like I'm sitting here in my office, looking out of my window at all the beautiful daffodils that are just popping up at a rate of knots in the garden at the moment. And it's just things like that little seasonal uplifts of maybe gathering a vase full of those, popping them on a bedside table, on the kitchen table, wherever, bringing in some freshness and colour. It doesn't have to cost a lot, does it? I mean, I think flowers and plants are brilliant for that, giving the house a feeling of freshness and newness and indeed that splash of colour. I'm sitting in my office as well, um, looking at the cat litter, which is, you know, not the most <laughs> joyful view. It's no daffodils for me. <laughs> your daffodils aren't about to go on your kitchen table anytime soon either, though, no, are they? I don't have. You hate daffodils. I mean, who I hates hate daffodils. daffodils? I don't like daffodils. I am looking at my very fabulous Lego flower bouquet, though, which I adore with my pink Lego roses. But you're right, there are small things like that you can do. But the other, of course, great way of small-ish effort, depending on how much you're doing, but with a big impact, is the tin of paint. And I'm not Mm. actually talking about painting the whole room. So there is that notion of bringing in sunshine. You could paint a window frame, which might be a bit fluffy, but it doesn't take much paint. So, you know, painting a window frame yellow, not daffodil yellow, but, you know, that. Oh, no, daffodil yellow window frame. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it. Go on then. I really wanted to do it in the bedroom and uh, I had the windows photoshopped in yellow so I could persuade the mad husband that it would be a really good idea in the bedroom. And he's just, he's not engaging with with my Instagram (laughs) post at all. He's not having it. But, you know... We'll get there. I'm just let, I'm planting that seed, my acorn, and the mighty oak tree of the yellow windowsill <laughs> may spring forth. But you know that may be a pain painting your windowsills. But also, I like the idea of painting painting a stripe down the wall, and that's a kind of seating mm. area, or or painting the if you haven't got a very exciting bedhead, you know, painting a bedhead on that goes up to the ceiling or across oh, like the whole wall. Oh, like colour blocking, doing a, a block bit of, of colour blocking to frame yeah. the bed. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really kind idea. of easy and, and makes a kind of dramatic change and is not too much hard work. Yeah. No, I think these are all really nice. I'd like just painting the ceiling in your downstairs loo a really bright neon pink or something. I don't know. It's just like be perky, be cheeky, have some fun with, you know, a, it doesn't even have to be a big pot of paint. What you're talking about is like a litre, isn't it? Yeah. Obviously, you can paint bits of furniture. I love doing that, changing the colour of my bedside tables or whatever, a dining chair. But just popping a bit of colour in the house for the price of a £15 tin of paint or whatever, I think is a great thing to do. Quick and easy, no stress, no hassle. There's another but great pr- idea, actually. I think that's the thing. We're not we're not talking about painting your windowsills grey here, are we? Or your downstairs loose ceiling grey. You know, we're talking about quite cheeky, 
uplifting colours. I think that's at the core of this. And when it's a small amount, it's less frightening. Yeah, be a bit. You know, so you know, I am not going to paint a room yellow, but I quite like no. the idea of feeling like the sun is shining in. There's another brilliant idea, actually, potentially for people again who live in rental houses. Although this may work for period ones, Catherine Ormerod, who is a fashion journalist, and she lives in a rented house. And she painted, I think using a tester pot, I mean, a really small amount. She said it took her about an hour. She painted her picture rails and the backs of her doors in a colour. And she said she did this. The landlord said she could, but she would have to put it back. But she knew that painting the whole walls is like a big deal to return when she moves Mm. out. Whereas just painting the picture frame just adds that little bit of colour to, particularly if it's rental, what may be fairly bland decor. And that, she said, it just made all the difference, didn't take very long, and she knows that she can put that back to the white or grey or whatever it was when she moves out. And it hasn't been too much hard work. And I thought... That's a really cool idea. Super clever idea. It's reminded me, actually, of Michelle Gunderhin, you know, who is the judge on Interior Design Masters, which is back on the telly box this week for anyone who hasn't noticed that. She likes a pot of paint, Michelle does. And uh, I remember when we went and did the podcast at her house, I wonder if she still kept this, she'd painted the area underneath her floating shelves and indeed maybe the underneath part of her floating shelves, a sort of mustard yellow. So her whole room was this very kind of soft lilac-y grey, but then this sort of sharp punch of mustard yellow was almost hidden. But when you were sat down Well, you down sort on of only sofa, saw it when you, you sat down. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's kind of cool too. This sort of yeah, like I thought that was clever element of colour. And another way that you can change things is changing lampshades. You know, mm, I think oh lampshades. Yeah, I we, I think we forget about lampshades. You know, we buy a lamp, it comes with a shade, and we just kind of leave it like that. And actually, I am now sitting there jostling for space under my desk with a lampshade that's not currently in use. I actually move my lampshades around quite a lot. Yeah, me too. I it's hadn't really even thought about it, isn't it? Yeah. And you can go from a sort of bright patterned one. Again, if you live in a rental property that hasn't got much colour and you haven't got the opportunity to, you know, stick holes in your wall for gallery walls or whatever, then buying a a brightly coloured, beautiful or patterned lampshade can really create a focal point in a room. And actually taking inspiration from past guests, do you remember when we went to Sophie Ellis Baxter's house? She had this huge kind of like stencil tattoo across her bedroom. I mean, I don't think a stencil that big possibly is on the most budget end of things, but in terms of like visual impact, it looked amazing. And if indeed you were creative enough to be able to hand draw something like that, again, just a tin of paint, but bringing a big statement, some pattern, some colour into the room for, you know, cost of the tin of paint. I thought that was really genius. And also, I think, you know, that idea you were saying about painting furniture, that's, you know, a really good way because you can just keep repainting it if you change your decor or your bed linen or something. Oh, yeah, layer it up, especially if the furniture didn't cost very much money. I mean, I've got slightly obsessed. Maybe I'm late to the party with this one. I mean, listeners will have to let me know. But Facebook Marketplace, OMG for picking Everyone's up Everyone's talking about that. Yeah. I think it's because it's very locally based, like... For example, for me, I use Facebook Marketplace and then I also use my local village Facebook chat group. You know, the one that's always telling you that, you know, the A275s close this afternoon and <laughs> there's potholes on Honeypot Lane and, you know, those sorts of... Um, maybe you don't get them in London, but you get them out here in the sticks. And so I will always 
do things like I'll just stick on there going, oh, I've got some tins of paint left over. And before I know it, half an hour later, somebody's come around going, oh, we're so pleased. We're doing our daughter's bedroom this weekend and this will be perfect. Or, you know, a box of leftover tiles. I can't be bothered to list it. I can't be bothered to get any money for it. So I stick it on Facebook Marketplace for a quid or, you know, as I said, on my Facebook Village chat group. And it's great for me because I get rid of it. And then other people are thrilled because they've pretty much got a freebie. So I think that's also really worth looking at if you are on a tight budget. I think that's really interesting as well, because I I remember a friend of mine trying to sell a coffee table on eBay and she said that, you know, it went up there for ages and there's so many people on there. No one noticed it. And then eventually someone came, two people said they'd have it and didn't turn up. And then the third person came and it it ended up costing her by the time she'd listed it. It cost her more to, you know, get rid of it. And I think Facebook Marketplace is much easier, isn't it? Because you're either giving it away or it's 20 quid. And what I have seen is quite a lot of sort of, pine, small pine bedside tables that have gone a bit orange and then actually not really worth anything, but they are wood. And you can pick those up locally. You can paint them any colour you like. And, you know, if you've got some leftover tiles, you could even tile the top of it and make it into a sort of nice piece of furniture with a tile top that's really useful and completely breathe new life into it. God, look at you, Kate Watson, smile. I'm not saying I'm going to do it. Upcycling hero. I'm all the ideas. I'm all the ideas and no actual practical ability but you know there for anybody she else she's got a paint she's got a tile cutter she's getting the adhesive she's got the grout out yeah not gonna happen i'm just here to give you all the ideas and watch you carry them out and make beautiful things i on the other hand will just be watching <laughs> Now for this week's style surgery. Greetings, girls. This is from Louise Kelly in Brisbane, Australia. And she says she's a huge fan of the podcast. Well, we love to hear that. You lovely ladies, brighten my commute with your interiors, wisdom, sunny friendship and general cackling. I take exception to the cackling. Um, (laughs) My friend over there is the cackler. Anyway, Louise has a question for the style surgery. When is a feature of your home something of historic value to preserve? And when is it just an ugly thing from the past that you can get rid of? I live in a 1970s house surrounded by gum trees and bouncing kangaroos. One literally just hopped past as I was typing this to you. The house has a tiled sunken bathtub, the sharp slippery edges of which fill my clumsy body with dread, and very orangey brown brick walls in most of the rooms. While I don't love these features, I'm not sure about ripping them out because maybe they're elements of a groovy 70s past that actually should be kept or even celebrated. Or is preserving only important when it comes to the Downton Abbey-esque truly historical properties? Although I guess they only get to be historical if drongos like me don't rip bits of them out. (laughs) So how do you balance appreciating the history of a property without impaling yourself on the edge of death trap sunken bathtub or having your colour palette influenced by creepy brown orange brick walls? Curious about your thoughts. Kind regards, Louise Kelly. 
Interesting. <laughs> I'm 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 here for the kangaroos jumping past. You've got daffodils, she's got kangaroos, I've got cat litter. Oh, joys. I had deer in my garden when I woke up this morning. Oh, of course you so did. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Picture that. Oh, I yeah, no. love this question, Louise. It's absolutely brilliant. And I've got such a sharp image of you trying to get into your slippery sunken bath. <laughs> it does sound very stressful. I mean, my sort of feeling generally with all these things is yes. There is, I think it's really nice to honour the past and indeed preserve some of these elements. However, if it's stopping you enjoying your home where you live, then there has to be some give and take. And there's one thing keeping a few architectural details. And there's another thing about like this bath just on a practical level really doesn't work for you at all. And I really feel you with the orange bricks as well, because I had those in my house, even though they're not original. So I had no problem ripping them out. I had a Victorian sort of cottage farmhouse and in the 80s, they put the orange brick slips in and they clearly weren't going to work with my decor. Um, One thing I did do, which perhaps was a bit contentious, is I ripped out the original bread oven. You did. uh, I remember. I I was very sad about that because I thought it was rather cute. Yeah. And I remember the estate agent being so proud of it when they showed us around this wonderful, you know, original bread oven. But essentially it was like a chimney breast of brick with a hole in it. That's what it was. Yeah. (laughs) And it was in the way. I wanted to put my coats and shoes in that corner of the hallway. It was like taking up all the storage space. So again, it was sort of like, it's in the hallway. I'm not going to sit in this hallway admiring this bread oven and uh, we were having underfloor heating put in and we needed to use the space. So I think there has to be a little bit of give and take when it is your home and you do need to get it working for you. What do you think, Kate? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's also that fine line between preserving, as you say, original features and colours and also, you know, it looking like a museum. And I quite often see houses that float past me on websites and, you know, all hasn't been modernised since the 60s. And on the one hand, you think, oh, isn't it beautiful? But as a museum piece, and on the other hand, couldn't really live like that. So I think, where would I go with that? I think I would say that you don't want to mess with something architecturally, perhaps, you know, with the outside or the style of the windows. But I think, yes, if the sunken bath doesn't work for you, then have it out. You know, that's not a properly historical thing. And I couldn't live with orangey brick walls. So for me, they would have to go. But maybe it's the brick that you don't like and actually using some of that colour palette in another way might work so that you are sort of nodding to the period in terms of colour or maybe you should have a corduroy sofa. But I think one can't be completely entrapped by the house and its period because this is not the way we live. And if you think about, again, to come back to my Victorian terrace, Victorian terrace houses had tiny little scullery kitchens at the back and it was often a sort of rabbit warren of small rooms and even actually bigger period houses because, you know, servants went in the kitchen and the people who owned the house lived in the bigger rooms. This is not the way we live now and we have no problem in Victorian houses with people knocking through from the small front parlour to create a a longer, thinner living room. That's what's happened in my house. We've knocked down walls and extended to create bigger kitchens. So I wonder whether it's just because the 70s is a bit fashionable at the moment and feels a bit closer to us that people are like, no, no, you can't rip that out. But, you know, we're quite happy to knock about a Victorian. 
I think it's going to be thousands of people going, oh my God, the 70s was hideous. Get rid of that bathroom, that orange brick. I don't yeah, think everybody I think so looks too. on but, it with but the, fabulous, the point with I make sort of is fond nostalgia. No, no one is saying, you know, oh, you live in a Victorian house, you can't knock it about a bit. I mean, you might want to, people sometimes say, I really don't want this fireplace in my Victorian house because it's actually preventing me from putting the bed where I want it or building storage. You know, I, I don't have a problem with taking it out and maybe selling it or preserving it if someone wants to put it back or boxing it in because, you know, it's a nice original piece. But I think you've you've got to live in your house the way you need to live in your house. It does throw up an interesting consideration, though, about what do you replace it with? So if you start ripping out architectural details and changing the design of a house, what do you put in? And I think this is quite interesting. I think the general rule is in in a because you see lots of Victorian properties. Yes, they'll keep the fireplace and the corner sink, et cetera, et cetera. But then they might put in like a really modernist, minimal floating kitchen, you know, a mm. a really sleek BB Italia sofa. I mean, that's so fashionable to do, isn't it? Put really modern yeah. fixtures and fittings and furnishings in a period house. However, if you had a 70s house. It would be a no-no, wouldn't it, to go and put a Victorian roll-top claw-footed bath in there or a shaker-style panelled kitchen. So I think, you know, that would rub for me. That would just be all kinds of like discombobulating wrong. So I think the rule of thumb is if you are going to modernise a period property, you can only kind of put things newer in terms of the timescale in. So you can't oh, take your you can't take your house and go back in time. You can't take your seventies house and deck it out in nineteen twenties Art Deco. You can't get your Art Deco house and fill it with Edwardian or Victorian style. But you could put seventies style in your nineteen twenties house, for example, or you could put. 70s style in your 50s house or whatever. I think yeah, that's, go forward. That that works really well. That's really well forward. put. And it does work. So, yeah. So I think, you know, there is a lot of charm about your 70s house, I'm sure. I bet it's got, unlike Kate's Victorian house that had to be knocked around, it's probably got fantastic layout. It's probably got lovely big open spaces. I'm imagining it's got huge windows for you to watch the, yeah. kangaroos, the kangaroos hopping by. <laughs> yeah, so it's got lot. So, you know, you, you obviously bought the house because you loved it. So I wouldn't feel beholden to some of the decorative element, you know, hangover from the 70s. Um, but I would say if you are going to redecorate don't try and create anything pre-70s. It could just feel a bit wrong. I think that's a really good rule of thumb. So you've got to go forward. So you can go deep into the 80s. You can strip it all out and fill it with <laughs> swags and pelmets. Sophie's right in there. Um, or you can go in a more sort of minimal style and, and change the colour palette to that sort of 90s colour palette with more pastel colours. I think you absolutely have fun with it. But yeah, rule of thumb in any period property, go forward, not backwards. Well, so that was very unusual, Kate. I do believe we actually uh, left on an agreement <laughs> with that oh, one. Steady. Doesn't happen very right. often. <laughs> um, but do send us your style dilemmas. Just drop us an email to thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com. And it would be marvellous if you could send us a voice note. You can record them so easily using the app that comes already installed on your phone because we genuinely love to hear your gorgeous voices. Head over to the blogs for more details on what we've been chatting about today. I'm madaboutthehouse.com and she's sophierobinson.co.uk. But for now, thanks to producer Kate Taylor of Feast Collective and thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors.
There we are. There we are. Lovely. Do we turn the record off? Okay. Oh, mine wasn't on. <gasps> <laughs> that was not funny. <laughs> oh.